Breaking Rules Publishing is currently accepting submissions in all genres, including for our four magazine lines, Horror Magazine, The Scribe, Triangle Writers, and the soon-to-be-released Someday Magazine. We also have several short story anthologies, such as The Hollow, Where All Evil Lies, and Wedding Anthology. So for more information, please visit breakingrulespublishing.com. And if you're enjoying Writer Someday to Author today, please make sure to hit subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Writer Someday, Author Today. I am your host for tonight's episode, Jennifer Gordon. And tonight I have with me two of my most favorite writers, Mr. Zach Thomas and Mr. Daniel Fisher. Uh, So (laughs) I will let each of you uh, introduce yourselves now that I've introduced you and tell me a little bit about who you are and what you are writing or have written. So we will start with Zach with an H, Thomas. Well, I'm almost 30 years old. I grew up in Lottsburg, Tennessee, but I tell everybody I'm from Morristown uh, because Lottsburg's one of those little communities that if you blink, you'll miss it. I've been writing since I was five and didn't really get serious about it until I got into college at 18. I wrote my first book, which will never be published. Uh, I actually hate it. (laughs) Maybe one day I'll go back and redo it. My second book I wrote during creative writing class because I got bored with the class. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to take my laptop to class and... I sat there and wrote it. The third book is uh, a biopic, but it's fiction. It took me four and a half years to write. I started when I was 24, and I didn't finish it till almost till I was almost 29. Fourth one, it's a surprise, so you can ask me about it later on. Okay, good. Okay, <laughs> I'm intrigued by surprises. So, Daniel, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, and your work. Okay. I am an Indiana native uh, who grew up hitting the state with the passion. I moved to Philadelphia. I spent about 20 years in Philadelphia. I lived for about three years in Tennessee um, in um, a ferry commune. And... <laughs> two different fairy communes. And then I moved back to Philadelphia. I actually trained as a painter and a sculptor and a designer. I've done a lot of like set design, uh, art education. I taught pageantry and puppetry to different marginalized communities and nonprofits throughout the city of Philadelphia, large scale and small scale. And I wrote, the only writing thing I ever did back then was I wrote, um, helped write a play for a puppetry version of James Joyce's Ulysses and the city of Philadelphia's art education manual. Um, I moved back here in 2010 because my mom was becoming a walking pile of Swiss cheese. She's got dementia and Alzheimer's. So I came back to help and continued on painting and, working on my art until about 2016 when I had some issues with my hands. So 
in order to use my hands again, I taught myself how to write and I wrote my first book in a year. And here it is four years later and I'm, I'm finishing the edits and the rewrite for it. And that's the project I'm currently working on. And what is that called? It's a four-parter. It's called The Place of Things. It is more of a fantasy book based on paganism and uh, a lot of, uh, that's the one where that had the Kelpie in it and things like that. Um, I don't really want to give too much away because it's a certain <laughs> story. And it's also the original book was over a million words. So oh, I'm wow. To, yeah, I'm going to have to divide it up into four books. Um, I love that both of you just giving your introductions both said, oh, uh, no, that's a surprise. And that's a secret because uh, I feel like we, me as a writer, you guys as a writers are, are more interested in maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, like horror, fantasy, things like that. So the surprise and the, the journey is so much a part of it. So even during an interview, I like that you're not willing to give too much away right now. Uh, you're both here today because you've written horror work. I'm going to, I'm going to loose quote horror around this because Horror has a, a, a definite mindset. Like when you hear that word, you think of slashers and stuff like that. And, and that's great. I love it. But it, it's very broad spectrum of, you know, gothic areas, ghosts, ghouls, hauntings, spiritualism. So I'm going to shoot back to Zach because I think I know who your two favorite authors are. And I would like you to talk about how, who they are and why they inspired you. Well, with Stephen King, uh, when I first, yeah, the king of horror. <laughs> when I, I think, I, yeah, I read my first book by him when I was 15. And every time now somebody tells me that they're my biggest fan, I get a little bit paranoid. Because, I mean... <laughs> Who doesn't like Annie Wilkes and that word, you know, I'm your biggest fan. That's concrete Those, everybody. Yeah. Knows. Like when you're a Stephen King fan and somebody says, I'm his biggest fan, there's a creep factor that kind of crawls up your arms and into the back of your neck. Now, the thing that I liked about Stephen King was, well, a little bit of a backstory on when I started reading him. One of my best friends has a, has a sheep farm up in Washburn, Tennessee, and her mom asked me one day uh, who I liked to read, and I said, Stephen King, and she's like, you're going to hell. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. And, uh, <laughs> but Stephen King, over the years, like when I came back from the college in Florida, in Pensacola, he was like, I guess you could say, a literary novocaine for me because I could go into his books and deal with stuff I was dealing with, uh, with the hazing and everything. And then, uh, my other, uh, two writers I like is Clive Barker and John Irving. Uh, oh. which one? No, I was just making like a weird guttural noise and I'm yeah. sorry, everybody listening to this. Uh, but, because uh, yeah, John Irving is actually just a, all of the, your big three are great, but 
but you've listed John Irving and Stephen King, and those are like big New England people. We but uh, we worship I like, them. I like Clive Barker because he's an English guy or British, but like where Stephen King's the down and dirty and very weird. Uh, Clive Barker's like the Charles Dickens of him, and. Uh, oh. I always like reading Clive Barker because it's just really beautiful. And I guess that's where, like, you know, I used to write books and it was like a skeleton, basically. And now it's more fluid, more easy to read. And uh, with John Irving, I read A Widow for one year. And I have all of his books. I ha actually have all of Stephen King's, too. But I started reading John Irving because I got I was reading the Dark Tower series by King. And I got on the fourth book. And that was 10 years ago. I haven't picked it back up. I was going to say, you're not past it, are you? I don't know anyone who's past it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the first three were great. This one's horrible because it's just <laughs> on and on and on and on. And uh, with Irving, like I read A Will for one year. I liked it. I tried reading Cider House Rules. I didn't like it because it was too detailed. That, it's too, yeah, Cider House Rules is. Um, it, it's almost like a very Victorian way of writing. He gave you all the details of everything always. And I love John Irving. I love Widow for One Year. I'm a, a sucker for Hotel New Hampshire because I'm from New Hampshire. So I actually watched a movie of that and didn't read the book. Oh, the book. <laughs> Go back and read it. But, like, everybody thinks that, like, since I read Stephen King and I read Clive Barker, I'm going to be this next weird person. And actually, with my first book, which uh, is the one I'm going to work on, uh, one of the guys I work with, I gave him a copy of it that was like a proof copy. And I guess his daughter read it, and she said, it, she asked him, she said, is he uh, is he mentally stable? <laughs> oh, I love <laughs> So, Zach, you just said the exact thing I think every writer should hope to hear. And since Daniel laughed so much, I'm just going to, like, kick this back over to him. Uh, uh, it happens to all of us all the time. I, I, I've been, people have been having me tested since I was a child to see if I'm mentally stable. <laughs> um, I think as a writer, we have to be right on the borderline of... Yeah. Should they be someplace where somebody else is feeding them or are they still allowed to feed themselves? <laughs> right. Like they use the, the plastic table. Plastic. Yeah. A, a spork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Daniel, who are your biggest literary influences? Uh, strangely. It, and it doesn't even need to be books. Like I've asked people who are your biggest literary influences and they've told me paintings and songs. And I love that. I'm kind of all over the place because as in uh, growing up as a painter, I was like trying to paint all this stuff that I, to explain the universe. So I started learning about like ritual and candle magic and folklore and history. So I've got like a slew of all that, that I, I just devour. But like hearing Zach talk, I, I flash back to my first childhood book that I fell in love with was the Gashley Crumb Tiny. Oh, I don't know this. Oh, it's A is for um, 
it's the ABCs where like somebody fell down a well. It's all it's really okay. twisted. It's Victorian comical humor. Uh, Edward Gorey, he did the Adams Family cartoon. Yes, yes, yes. So it is hysterical. I I used to hold that book with me all the time, but um, growing up in terms of literature, I I never really read horror. Um, Marion Zimmer Bradley, Ursula K. Le Guin, and Douglas Adams have been really big influences. And now that I'm writing, like I like that weird sense of detail and twisted humor, and it, nothing's off limits. So it's sort of like, just it sort of blends well. I think it just kind of goes into like, you know, Arthur Ashe's history of uh, gay witchcraft to you know the the Egyptian Book of the Dead to oh, let's read, add some Douglas Adams humor in there and it, that type of thing. So do you think a lot of um, what you get inspired by is like folklore history and yeah, a, a, yeah and like history of cultures and lands? This yeah, is, this mythology, is, this ethnography, is, yeah. things like that, anthropology. I'm just, I geek out on it. Like, uh, when I was doing some research for uh, the, the book that I have out, Date With That, I, I was searching through pre-dynastic Egyptian names for death and then comparing them to like Roman mythology and Chinese mythology and Aztec and Mayan mythology so that I could have a better understanding of what I was looking for. So, um, so here's, um, this just like popped into my head as writers, I think we all research and look up things on the internet sometimes that mm -hmm. if anybody didn't understand we were a writer would seem very bizarre, like research topics. So I'm going to go back to Zach and say, what is the weirdest thing you looked up on Google that was, uh, writing that was about your writing, but if the FBI saw it, they would go, oh, maybe there's something wrong with that person. I really don't know, because, like, I think I looked up demonology one time. Oh, that's not that weird, Zach. I looked up, can you puncture somebody's lung with a teacup? That's a good one. <laughs> and then I felt like I was probably going to get arrested. And I was shocked that there was a lot of reference on that. <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is yes you can if their skin is pliable enough but nobody wants to hear that so zach you saying you looking up demonology that's not that bad demonology mating well, rights hmm, demonology <laughs> now with the third book i looked oh, up uh, there's a scene in it where like it's a biopic but there's little tinges of horror later on because one of the characters, which is, it tells you how he dies, but I had to look up how to make a scene because, like, most of the stuff I write doesn't have anything to do with, like, demons or whatever, but the character Ethan Chandler in Standing Strong, he wakes up in an abandoned warehouse that's completely pitch black, and he's talking to the devil, 
And at the end of it, his tongue falls out onto the floor and he bleeds out. <laughs> so I, oh, yeah, so there I it is. Up, I looked up on the internet, you know, on demon possession and everything, which in the book it was just kind of display like the total depravity of a person that lets himself completely go with hatred and won't let sleeping dogs lie. <clears throat> so like I've had people read that and they're like, "That's sick." I'm like, <laughs> "You ain't seen basically." Nothing yet. Uh, when you read later on in the story or in the book uh, there's a newscast towards the end um, and my character James Dillon is listening to the newscast and uh, Ethan Chandler actually hangs himself but like I've dealt with the whole suicide thing I've had a really good friend that shot himself last year and I tried to make it as horrifying as possible about, you know, how far a man can go and there's no point of return. So, yeah, I looked up. If that yeah, so you looked that up, yeah. <laughs> so, Daniel, uh, I think I know where some of your interests lie, so I'm very intrigued to find out what you think is the weirdest thing you've looked up. I think I'm surprised the FBI and Homeland Security haven't raided my house yet. <laughs> um, there was one night I was working on trying to describe the scene. So in that one night, I looked up how to create a thermetic reaction, the same one that was used in 9-11. Oh, no. Oh, uh, no. Right. The largest nuclear explosion uh, test explosion test uh in the world what kind of force you need to blow somebody's brain out the back of their head ricin poisoning uh deadly herbs and rituals to uh slaughter your enemies gosh honestly even people who i know that write like romance and regular like fiction the things we have to look up that i say we have to look up like somebody's forcing us to look up how to kill somebody with like a, you know, a spoon, but. Right. You wouldn't get it right. You don't want anything implausible. I, I feel like at the end of the day, if somebody reads my book and says, you know, I tried to kill somebody with a teacup and it, you can't slice through the lungs like that unless they're soaked in water and I didn't soak them in water, I would have been upset. Like, you're right. I, sh- I should have done the research. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should have. That's my job. I'm the writer. Right. It's our job to convey an appropriate scene that tells the entire story. I had I had one person tell me about my first book. They're like, no, you can't kill somebody with a teacup. And I really wanted to like, just like physically send them all the articles I looked up. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because it makes me seem like a psycho. Right. <laughs> More of a psycho than writing the scene in general. <laughs> I... It- <laughs> In the one that I'm editing now, that the only reason I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Don't, don't wanna, give anything away. I want to have uh, Mr. Christopher Klaus and read it and publish it. So yeah. I'm I'm finishing the edits, but it's the difference between um, an Utu demon and a Leshi or a Baba Yaga. It's like the different character traits that and how they go about slaughtering people kind of thing oh 
Okay. Well, on that very uplifting note, we're gonna right. <laughs> we're gonna cut to our sponsors. I'm sure they're thrilled that it ended with that. This is how we I like to end the F bomb. We didn't say the F bomb yet. We still have the second half of this. So we're gonna cut to our sponsors <laughs> and then we're gonna get back to us in just a few minutes. That's Not Canon is a community committed to giving new podcasters a platform to share their voices and have some fun. If you would like to get started podcasting or simply enjoyed this podcast and would like to find out more, you can head over to our website at that'snotcanon.com. If you simply want to support us and what we do, we would very much welcome your patronage at patreon.com forward slash that's not canon. Welcome back, everybody, to Writer Someday to Author Today with our guests tonight, Mr. Zach Thomas and Mr. Daniel Fisher. So we're going to get back to our discussion of writing and our inspirations by talking to our guests tonight about where they grew up and where they live and how that influences what they write and how they write. Talk about where you grew up and how that influences you, Zach. I grew up in Wattsburg, and I still live in Wattsburg, but I stay in Morristown a lot and work in Jeff City. But I think the reason that Wattsburg was an inspiration, even though it was kind of like the place where everybody, like, basically what you do is, like, if you're, like, there's, like, middle class and upper class and the people that send their kids to private schools. Um, all the kids that have like, they're well to do, they get the doctor jobs, the lawyer jobs, the good jobs. And then the rest of us, like basically I went to college for seven or eight years. And I started out as an English major. And like when I got to Walter state, uh, if you're an English major, like basically like, and you tell them that you write, if you're good at it, then you're like looked down upon because they think you're a snob because, you know, you know how to put two, two sentences together and describe things really good. Where I grew up at was basically the catalyst that pushed me to say, you know, hey, no matter what happens and no matter what you do for the rest of your life, you'll always write. And that's one of the reasons why I won't make it big as a writer. So do you think making it big as a writer it means like big sales or just connecting with people emotionally with your work or somewhere in between there? I think it's a intermixed balance of both. Uh, I mean, like when I was in creative writing, like I had this girl as a distance learning uh, student and uh, she came in the last day of the semester and handed out her critiques, and I got one from her. And uh, her name, her original name was Hannah, but she had a legal name change and changed it to Soren. And uh, yeah, S O R E N. And she, I actually looked this up recently, but she wrote on there about my story. Uh, an old friend, uh, she wrote pupil prose, or well, it looked like pupil prose, but it's actually purple prose, which means like uh, elaborate speaking. And I'm like, well, I'm like, just because I grew up in a small southern town where, you know, a lot of people 
you know, there are the educated ones, but there's also the ones that, you know, talk real Southern and everything. And I said, when I write, I'm not writing about where I grew up. I'm writing about, you know, where everybody's intelligent and everybody speaks well for the most part. Okay. Um, do you ever, oh, never mind. I'll get back to that. I'm going to go to Daniel now. Like, we might go down a rabbit hole if I ask this question. <laughs> so, Daniel, you're from the Midwest, yeah. Indiana. India, no place. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, when I was growing up here, it was in the 70s. So, the city was all Rust Belt. We grew up on in a suburb on the north side. So, it's very typical, like super duper duper typical suburban midwest what you would imagine out of like any horrible movie wrinkle in time that kind of neighborhood where everything warm and and just so bland um i was at least going to go with stepford wives or something where everything was a mid-century modern ranch house but the wives were robots it came to that because now it's a very affluential neighborhood but growing up, we had some diversity in terms of economics. Um, the population was entirely white. It was a sundown town until 1983, which means anyone of color could not be in town after uh, sundown. Oh so that's the level of um, tolerance that lived, lived there. So when I was growing up and, and being a kid in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s, because I'm an old bitch right now. Um, <laughs> it, I fell in with all, all the punk rockers and all the weird kids, and I realized there was a dirty, dingy punk scene in, a, in an undercurrent in Indianapolis that was so much more fun and so much more intriguing and so much more mind-expanding. And then right after I got off probation, I beat feet in the back of a Honda Civic up to Minneapolis. Stayed there for about a year and a half, and then that took me over to Philadelphia. And I stayed there, and then I went to Tennessee, and then I went to California, then back to Tennessee, back to Philadelphia, and now here. Basically, coming back to the Midwest, it's you sort of get that sense of highlighted how good it could be if mm. people were at their best and then you see how it is with like mike pent being the governor oh, yeah 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 that's oh gosh just when kind of makes you throw up in your mouth a little bit <laughs> um <laughs> yes that is true um so do you so you just said something uh that that i would i just want to like touch on because i love that i hear it uh, all the time when I talk to authors where you found like a dirty grungy scene or like, yeah. I always call it like your pack of weirdos or your yeah. land of misfit toys. I love that phrase, the land of misfit toys. That's you know, I, I love people. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, and I, I think I've said that to a lot of uh, our breaking rules authors while I'm messaging them, especially those of us in the, and like the horror aspect at Breaking mm -hmm. Rules, where I just like, oh, we're our little land of misfit toys. How important, and, and Stephen King touches on this, and most writers really do touch on this, uh, 
finding your your tribe or your fellow um, you know weirdo pack. How important is that in the creative process? Or do you think being a writer is more of a solitary thing? I'm going to flash back to Zach right now. I mean, it's good to have like a following behind you that supports you and believes in what you're doing. But I mean, like the actual writing process of actually sitting down, writing a book, I can't do it with other people speaking in my ears. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) And like, uh, like a lot of people like will comment online. They're like, you use big words in your book. And I sit and I mean, I might seem like an a-hole when I say this, but I'm like, buy a dictionary. Because <laughs> you know, like when I was growing up, like if I had a question, I'd either go to the, the, the source or the uh, dictionary and look it up. And now that we've got Google, I just, you know, like one of our maxims in tech school was, you know, if you didn't know, you know, just Google it. And that's our answer for everything. I feel like it takes a lot of the workout that probably um, the three of us here had to do when we were kids. Like if we didn't know something, you actually physically had to find a book that told you what it was. Or, I mean, I think, like the younger people right now don't understand like the weirdness of going to a library and having to check out an encyclopedia book that Mm -hmm. the information is already dated, but, but you feel so like excited that you're like, Oh, I found out this fact when this book was printed 10 years ago and I wiped the dust off of it in my small town. So I understand the writing process is solitary, but did you have people along the way, Zach, that encouraged you to, to follow this writing dream? Well, like, uh, the only person in my entire family that's read one of my books is my aunt. And uh, it was a, the Christmas story of the Joy Thief, which I sent you. Uh, I was so scared when she was going to read because it is a Christmas story, but it's also very intense towards the ending. Because it's also about a boy that gets abused by his dad and his dad comes back to get him and basically take him out, take him out like literally and uh she read it and uh i went back over to her house one day when we were all getting the girl she's like that book was really good and i'm like i'm like that was written in a creative writing class that i was bored in but do you thank her in your novels that you've written since then in your books like in your acknowledgments no you should (laughs) well like with my first novel like uh I wrote it because one of my buddies, his name was Thomas Preston, I went to school with. He he uh, told me he said write a fantasy book because the thing, the backstory on this college that I went to, which if you read Standing Strong, you'll get the inside look at it to a certain degree. Uh, one, all of your books had to be geared towards a Christian perspective, uh. and. Uh, I mean, this is a school where, like, on Sundays and Wednesdays, we dressed in full suits. One of my friends went uh, here at home. He read it, and he's like, you need to quit using the word ethereal because another guy down there at that school had told – I was asking him because I'm like, I've never written a fantasy novel before. You know, what kind of weapons do they use? Because I'm like, you know, most time I just use, like, some made-up gun or something like that. And he's like – 
tell or give the demon assassins ethereal swords. I think I used that word about 20 times within one one to three sequences involving them. And somebody said, please go back and change that. So that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> so Daniel, your yes. your tribe that you found, your your underbelly of Indianapolis, was that important? in your creative process of becoming an artist and becoming who you are now? I believe so, because um, I try and base, not just Indianapolis, but like Minneapolis, Tennessee, Philadelphia, San Francisco, I call them wing nuts, all the wing nuts that I know. Um, I try and base some of my characters on either my life experience or um, try and get the realism from people that, it, I know in my, or have known in my life, the way they move, the way that they behave, mm -hmm. their personality, their sort of essence. So it shaped me in that way. But the weirdest thing was like, in terms of like growing up studying like visual arts, my parents were weirdly supportive of that. You know, they weren't supportive of me. They were just supportive of that because they wanted me to make money on it and get out of their house. But they would always recognize that they they thought I had talent and they were pushing me to do it. Um, so that I and now that I'm a lot older, I, I can appreciate it. But when you're when you're a little punk rock kid, you're like, screw you. <laughs> I know. Uh, similar to what Zach was saying, I I I like using terminology in, in my work that suits me. I'm not gonna play down anything and i will not like dumb it down and explain well this means this it's just take it as it is and if you're interested in it you're gonna look it up and or you could even think about it and if it's like and figure out what it means to you as a reader right exactly <laughs> and it, further on in the book which you may not have gotten to it's a there's a really there's a revelation that uh, Dustin stopped carrying his tracks from asking a bunch of stupid questions. He just said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not playing 20 questions. Because it, it's that statement of, like, if you're a writer, you shouldn't have to dumb down your work and dumb down your language to because people are getting stupid. Or, so... Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of like leave us on this end note and I'll have you both uh, kind of pontificate on this. Is it better, do you think, to write for all people or write for the people that will appreciate you the most? Like, so if somebody was to say to you like, oh, this book's not for everybody, but I loved it, it changed my life. Is that more important than one person saying it changed their life or 20 people saying, oh, yeah, it's all right. Like, what's more important to you as a, as a writer? I've never asked this before for people, so I'm excited. So, Zach, would you rather emotionally connect really strong with one person or uh, have 20 people think what you write is? Like, yeah, it was good. But that's all they say. Yeah, it was good. I would rather have just the one person. I mean, a lot of people, but in the same sense, I mean, there's so many James Pattersons out there. And like when you read a James Patterson novel, yeah, it's great when you're reading it, but after you get done with it, you're like, oh, that was great. And then, you know, you it's a thrill for the moment. 
And like the reason I like Clive Barker, John Irving, uh, Pat Conroy, uh, Stephen King, and a bunch of others, after you get done reading them, you've actually read something and it sticks with you. I mean, I read uh, On Writing by Stephen King, it was his memoir. Oh, yes. And I also read E.B. E.B. White and William Strunk's book, Elemental Style. I liked Elemental Style, but it's like reading a textbook. And uh, with on writing, I mean, there's so many life lessons you can take from that, where he explains about his upbringing and his life and all that. So I would rather just have the one. So, Daniel, so uh, how do you feel? Like, would you rather have one deranged fan or a hundred normal ones? <laughs> I switched the question up a little. How about yes to all? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll see number three. I, I honestly, like, when I think about the books that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, like things like Miss of Avalon, where she didn't write it for general housewives like Danielle Steele novel. She wrote it because that's the story she wanted to tell. And that's what I try and do with my work is write based on the story and hope there's going to be at least one person out there that loves it as much as I do. The flip side is I would like uh, 10,000 people to buy it because they think they're cool. That is so fair. I'm willing to take their money. And if it's just all right and they don't get it, it's like, well, read it again. And then keep reading it until you understand it. And then maybe, I mean, I know there's books that like I read when I was in high school because I thought they were the cool books to read and I didn't understand a damn thing. And then when I reread them when I was 30 or later, it, you get it. Yeah. It's like I, Herman Hess in high school, I would fall asleep reading. And now Herman Hess 30 years later, I still fall asleep, but I get it. Yeah. Um, At least it's like falling asleep, but also ruminating in thought. Yeah. It's like, I understand it. And I understand why he's really popular, but like, it's not my scene. I'm not an old hippie. So, (laughs) you know, but it's, there are books that stand the test of time for the reason that they, they're written for the story. They're written not to impress everyone, but to resonate with those people that are really going to be interested in it. And that's why I just try and put the personality of the characters into the story. And if somebody resonates with it, very cool. And if they don't, well, buy it anyway and give it away as a gift. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I feel like I could keep chatting with you both all night, but uh, I'm going to actually have to cut this off for now, but I feel like we should come back to this for a, an extended writer someday to author today at a different date. So uh, once again, this is Zach Thomas and Daniel Fisher. They both have works available through Breaking Rules Publishing at breakingrulespublishing.com. And they're also available at Amazon. So again, Daniel Fisher and Zach Thomas, all of their links are going to be in the description of this. Thank you everybody for listening. And thank you fellas for being here with me on this weirdly hot night in New Hampshire and probably a nice a nice night wherever both of you are. Thank you. Thank you so much. Embrace Magazine is the first ever LGBTQ plus magazine in North Central Florida. 
It premieres on May 31st, 2020 as a digital-only annual magazine with a possible limited print. The mission is to present stories of gay and straight communities coming together to live, work, play, and pray. The magazine provides content that is appealing to both the LGBTQ plus community as well as straight communities. To learn more, visit our website as embracemagazine.us and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash embracemagazine.us.